Last week I started a short series of message titled Lines in the Sand. Lines in the Sand. And uh, I asked a question, what if my greatest accomplishment in life is not really about me? What if the greatest thing I can do in life has nothing to do with me? And so uh, that's a question I'm throwing out there last week. And, and we started to, we looked at quite an exceptional story in the, in the book of Two Kings, where we saw God turning around a hopeless, helpless situation. God turned it around in one day. God can turn a situation around in one day. And so we started looking at this story in the book of Two Kings. And uh, it's like three parts of a story. We looked at, we've got Act 1 where we look at the problem. The Act 2 of the story is where we introduce the heroes. And in Act 3 we, we can discover what the heroes did to make them heroes. So last week we really focused, we, we touched on Act 1. We sort of introduced the problem. And then we focused on the heroes. We focused on the four lepers who drew a line in the sand and who refused to stay on the side of death, who refused to stay at the city gates and refused to allow famine to destroy them. And they chose to cross a line. They chose to dare to believe that if they crossed the line and and went to the enemy, their, their greatest victory could be found in the place of their greatest defeat. The places of the greatest danger, they were willing to trust God and step across this line. And we saw how the lepers, how they took a step of faith and they chose not to live on the side of death. We looked at the heroes and we looked at the miraculous thing God did later uh, in their story. And um, we're going to maybe touch on them a bit later. But as I was preparing this week, and we've had a bit of a crazy week, uh, but I just felt God say to me, Mark, I want you to spend a bit more time looking at the problem. And I like, um, I'm taking encouragement from what Lil says, let's not focus on the problem, let's focus on the promise. But let's, I want to talk a little bit about the problem that these people had, how it relates to us, and the promise we have in the midst of that. And so um, I want to talk about the impact of what happens in our life when we are under siege, when the enemy comes to attack us. I want to talk about the lines that we need to draw to, to, uh, to give us hope and to give us life. That we can stand strong in the midst of famine. And we can stand strong until victory comes. And next week I will, I will do Act 3 and I'll try to pull this amazing story together. And so the story is found in 2 Kings and it's set in around about 850 B.C., in the capital of, of Israel, Israel is divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom's capital was Samaria. This is where the story is set. If you've got your Bibles, we're heading toward 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 2. You can sort of, sorry, 2 Kings 6, verse 20-ish. You can start finding it. I'll have it on the screen in a minute. So we've got the situation where a city, uh, the, the army of the Aramites had surrounded the city of Samaria and they were intent on capturing the city. Quite obviously, if they've surrounded the city, if they've laid siege siege to a city, there is no way the food, they can get food, food can't be brought in, communications can't be brought in. They are isolated and they are trapped in a place of siege. And according to what the Bible says, this siege wasn't just like a a one-day event. This siege went on a long time. And I think even here this morning, there's people who've been under siege for a long time. 
People here this morning whose lives have been, you felt trapped for a long time by sometimes the enemy, sometimes it's ourself that I'll talk about that. Because sometimes the things we use as our fortress become our prisons. And so there's people here this morning, I believe that are going to walk in breakthrough. And I think it's already started. I think a lot of people are on the journey of being set free through our worship service this morning. But, but we can be under siege. And the siege went on a long time. Sometime later, however, King Ben-Hadad of Aram mustered his entire enemy and besieged Samaria. You know, there's a big difference between capturing a city and laying siege to it. If, you were, if your army was strong enough, you would just send them in and send them in and send them in. You wouldn't care about the cost because your army was strong enough to defeat the city. Now, Ben-Hadad couldn't defeat the city. He knew that his army was not strong enough to defeat the city, and so he surrounded the city. His plan was, if I can't get them physically, I'm going to starve them. I'm going to fill them with fear. I'm going to fill them with hopelessness and helplessness. And in the same way the enemy there surrounded the city, I believe the enemy of our soul knows that he is not stronger than us because Jesus is ultimate victor. Jesus is stronger. He knows that. He knows that he cannot win on external force. So what he does is he sieges us, he surrounds us with the hope, like Ben-Hadad had, is that, that something would happen on the inside that would keep us trapped. And so he lays siege to our lives, he lays siege to our health, he lays siege to our families, he lays siege to our marriages. He lays siege to our families, he lays siege, he set out to destroy, well to, to capture and contain, to keep you trapped. And so I want to look at four things this morning that can happen when our lives are under siege. The first thing is we become really desperate. Everyone say we become desperate. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver and a cup of dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. Now, they're interesting menu options. I don't think we're having... I don't think anywhere in Newcastle will sell that. Um, actually, they may. They may just serve it. No, they won't. Um, wrong country. Desperate times cause people to, des- to do desperate things. A donkey's head, that was one of the most detestable parts of the animal. For a, for a Jew, it was, it's, it's unclean. They would ne- but they were so desperate, they had to eat. And they were paying the, the market value on the, there's about $500 for a donkey's head. A cup of dove's dung, about $35. This is how desperate they were to feed, to consume something. The problem is when we go through times of siege, when the enemy surrounds us, it can easily cause us to do things we would never do. We would never eat a donkey's head. We would never eat dove's dung. <coughs> but under time of siege, when things are difficult, when things are hard, when we get desperate, desperate times cause desperate people to do desperate things. And they can allow, they and we can allow things to enter our body that we would never have imagined. People who are desperate for attention, they allow all sorts of things to enter their lives and they have disastrous effects. People that are desperate for affection, what do they do? They consume love from the, long, from the wrong place. 
I could, I, I know too many people who have been desperate for, in their marriage for something to change or, and, and then all of a sudden they're doing something that they could, oh, I, I know too many people. Some of them I've watched as they've grown in their marriage and I know when they said their wedding vows they would never expect that they would consume love from another source. Desperate times, desperate situations, siege of the enemy causes people to do stuff, to consume things that they wish they would, well, they, they, they would never do normally. People desperate for peace, they consume all sorts of drugs, prescription drugs, alcohol, illicit substances. They're so desperate that they want peace in their lives. If they can get one hit, one shot, one, one moment of peace, they'll be happy. Desperate times, desperate situations cause people to consume things that they would never do. I've known so many people consumed by all things, many things in their heart. Consumed by things in their mind, their mind are, minds are consumed by things that normally wouldn't fill them. Things that are consumed, they're consumed with anger and hatred. Maybe if you're here this morning and you're, and you're consumed, maybe some of those, you've got some things going on in your life. Maybe this morning you'll see that, hang on a sec, the reason for that is not that I'm useless or not that I'm worthless because you're not your worth. Of course, you're so worthy and worthful. Is that a word? Worthful. Tell the person next to you, you're really worthful. Okay, I've been told that's not right. <laughs> you have great worth. There you go, okay. But you have great worth. Each one of you has great worth. And the enemy wants to try to destroy that. And he'll do all he can to have you consume things that are trying to get your worth from somewhere else. Your worth and your identity comes from God. Desperate times cause people to de- do desperate things. In our Assassin's series that I did at the end of last year, that I didn't quite finish, so I'm going to finish that later, it talks about an enemy that doesn't lurk from the outside, an enemy that is on the inside, an enemy of hearts. So I started to talk about guilt, I started to talk about anger, the things that the enemy wants to do from the inside to destroy us. And so if you're under t- attack, my encouragement to you is guard your heart. If you know the enemy is attacking you, if you're in your, in your family, in your situation, in your hardship, in your trial, in your trouble, guard your heart. It's easier times like that to let your guard down. Be careful. Be careful when you become desperate. Be careful when the famine comes that you don't consume things that you would never normally do. We need to draw a line. Here's a line we can draw. We can draw a line of defense. A line of defense around our hearts that says, you know, no matter how desperate things become, no matter how hard it is, no matter how challenging it is, I will not cross a line and do something that I know I will regret. I will not remain on the side of consuming stuff that is not good for me. Draw a line of defense. That's the first line I want to encourage you. Because if you don't draw a line of defense, if you don't guard your heart, all of a sudden you'll consume things that'll feed stuff on the inside. And I don't know, I've seen that happen to too many people and their lives get consumed by all the wrong things. Draw a line of defense around your heart. Can I get my water? Thanks. Is that okay? 
What's that first line? Thank you. Johanna and Andrew are awake. Actually, it's amazing who I can see who's not awake. I can, I can name and shame. I'm not going to, but I could. Um, <laughs> okay, that's the first line, a line of defense. We've got four of them. Let's go to um, verse 26 in chapter 6. So the first thing I was talking about is desperation. Here we come. Under, when you're under siege, you become desperate for something. Secondly, you become discouraged. One day as the king of Israel was walking along the wall of the city, a woman called out to him, Please help me, my lord, the king. He answered, If the lord doesn't help you, what can I do? I have neither food from the threshing floor nor wine from the press to give you. The king's role is to provide protection and hope for his people. But the king here, King Ben-Hadad, he'd lost hope. He was looking at his natural situation. He was looking at his natural resources. And someone was asking from him and he looked at what he had and he didn't have enough. He didn't have much. In fact, he had nothing. For the needs of the people around him, he looked at what he had. And the need the woman, we'll discover in a minute, the need the woman had was far more than food, far more than wine. Sometimes we can get stuck looking at our natural world. We can get stuck looking at what we have or what we don't have. We can get stuck looking at what we need. Now, I'm not disputing the fact that we do live in the natural world. I'm not disputing the fact that we have bills to pay, doctors to see, cars to register, insurances to pay, school fees for all of us with kids, appointments. I know there's rates, there's a, there's a whole range of bills and, and things that are, come in our lives in the natural world. We can't ignore them, otherwise you'll get the, you know, the first reminder, then the second reminder, then your lights pop off and you wonder, hmm, did I pay my bill? We need to manage our God-given resource as well. We do. As, as, as followers of Jesus, we need to be wise and good stewards of the financial resources that God gives us. But what I'm talking about is what, where do we look for help and hope? The king was looking at his natural resources. But when we, when we need help and hope, where do we look? If it is healing, and I know many of us need healing and, we, and we're seeking God for healing, and I prayed this morning in our prayer meeting, it's wonderful that we have such a great medical world around us. Even Leanne was sharing with me yesterday the supernatural connections God's giving you guys to different specialists and relationships and people. You know, and, and in our church we've got some great specialists and doctors and, and people and we've got nurses, we've got you know, work, um, social workers, we've got a whole range of people who are great to help us in our journey. But ultimately if we're looking for healing, let's be grateful and thankful to our doctors Let's be grateful and thankful for those that care for the body, but let us look to Jesus. Let's acknowledge that he will, that there's, there's a range of people in our natural world that can help us. But ultimately, if we're looking for healing, let's not look at our natural world. Let's not put all our hopes in the doctor or the specialist. Let's not put all our hopes in man. Let's turn our eyes and put our hopes in God. Because ultimately, that's where we're going to get our truest healing. If we're looking for help 
in our relationships. If you're looking for help in your marriage or your friendship or, or a situation in your family, if you're looking for help in that, look, I encourage you, deal with your own stuff. Deal with your own issues. And you can't fix someone else's issues, but you can pray that the Holy Spirit will move on someone else. Deal with your own. Deal with what you can do in the natural and trust God to do what you can't do in someone else. If you're struggling in your finances, I said before, you've got to be wise. You've got to be good stewards and and you've got to learn to apply godly principles to your financial management. Be thankful what you do have. But ultimately, we've got to look to God who is our provider. Look to God and ask Him to help us to be generous. Help us to have generous hearts and generous souls and ask Him to help us to find contentment with whatever level of finances we have at the moment. We can, we've got to deal with the natural. We've got to do what we can do. But we've got, we've got to look to God as ultimately the one who will help us in times of siege. We need to learn how to trust God when things are going tough. We need to draw a line in the sand that says, you know what, I'm not going to stay on the side of discouragement. I'm not going to stay on the side where I look at my natural resources and I look at my bank account and I look at what I have. I'm not going to stay on the side of a line that says I have nothing or I'm sick and I have no control over this. We are going to draw a line in the sand and we're going to walk and stand in a place of hope. That's what the king didn't do. The king stayed looking at his natural resources, looking at what he had, what he didn't have. He should have known better. He should have known that ultimately his hope comes from the Lord. The king had had enough. He threw his hands up in the air. He'd given up on God. He'd given up on God's promises. He'd given up on church. He'd given up on spiritual things. If you look at his story, he wasn't a good king. He'd hardened his heart against God. He'd allowed all sorts of things from the enemy. Different started to worship different gods. And no matter how many times God spoke to him, he kept his heart hardened. But you know what? If only the king knew what we knew. I'm talking about what we know what's going to happen in the next few verses. We know what's going to happen in the next few verses, that there's going to be deliverance for the nation. If only the king knew that. If only the king knew that that hope is in God and God is good and God is about to do something, that things were about to change. If only he knew that God was at work in the unknown. If only he knew that God was doing something that he couldn't see. I tell you what, if he knew that, he wouldn't have felt discouraged. He would have said to the woman, you know, woman, I don't know what's going on in your world, but I know one thing, that deliverance is coming. I know that tomorrow is going to be better than today. Just hang on. But he didn't know that. So he was discouraged and he gave up. The thing is, we as Christians, we know the end. We know that Jesus conquered death and sin and disease. We know that Jesus defeated the enemy. See, we know what the king didn't know. We know that that, that hope, hang on, help is on the way. I'm not going to sing it. You can if you like. Don't. Steve McDonald, don't sing it. <laughs> we know 
that help is on the way. We know that help has come. We know that Jesus came and conquered sin and death. We know that Jesus came in and purchased our breakthrough, purchased our freedom. We know that. The king didn't know that, but we do. So we should not stay on the side of discouragement. We should not stay on the side of, of defeat. We should not stay on the side of the promise, on the problem. We should step, draw a line, move away from the problem and move into the promise. That'll deal with discouragement. In your life. If you're discouraged this morning, can I encourage you? Can I ask you to consider? Don't stay there. Look at the promise of God. Look at what God's spoken. I'll touch on that in a minute. So we become desperate. If we're under siege, we can become discouraged. We can become isolated. The next one, we can devour things. And so after his outburst, the king says to the woman, what's really going on? She replied, this woman, this woman said to me, come on, let's eat your son today. Then we'll eat my son tomorrow. So we cooked my son and ate him. Then the next day I said to her, kill your son so we can eat him. But she has hidden her son. <coughs> That's not it. Why do you find that funny, Leanne Johnson? Did someone eat a child? <laughs> Did you point at Jenny? No? Is anyone missing a child? <laughs> Where is Phoebe? Yes. <laughs> hey, if your kids are downstairs, they're safe. Okay. You all have to ask Leanne what she is talking about. (laughs) Their hunger, their desperation caused them to consume each other. Desperate times, difficult situations caused her, caused them to consume each other. I can't imagine her grief. It would be indescribable, her It'd be unbearable. It'd be unthinkable. It'd be heartbreaking. But siege, times of hardship, times when the enemy surrounds us, it causes people to do unthinkable things to one another. And if we are not careful when we are going through a difficult time of siege, we start to consume one another. Not what they're laughing about. We start to consume one another perhaps with our words, perhaps with our attitudes. In times of siege, what I've noticed is that people tend to take it out on one another. I've heard people who say the most eloquent prayers, people who faithfully serve and give and contribute to the church. I've heard upstanding and outstanding people. I've seen them. I've heard them. I've been at the, I've been at the end when their words are stripping people. Their words are full of death. Their words are full of condemnation. I've stood back and seen the most, what I would have thought were the most upstanding Christians in my world. I've seen them manifest words that are, that are consuming and devouring. And I'm thinking, wow. What is going on there? Something must be going on in their heart. Something must be going on in their life that is causing their words to be consuming, their words to be destructive, their words to be, to be taking life instead of giving life. And while I've seen other people like that, it happens to me too. 
It happens to me when, when I'll say something or, and, and uh, I think, oh, what the heck have I said? It's usually when Ali talks to me later and says, did you realize you said that? Well, I said it, but I didn't actually realize that. You know, sometimes we need people in our world who will hold a mirror up to us. They'll, 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 they'll tell us, you know, you would probably add a line. You would probably be harsh. You would probably be unkind. You are probably consuming the word, the Bible encourages us to speak life over people. Words, uh, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And it's really important when we are under siege, when the enemy is closing in around us, we've got to guard our hearts that our words don't start to pull people down, start to destroy people, start to, to, start to eat away at their soul or their identity. We need to speak life, speak God's truth, speak hope over them. It's sad to see when that happens. It's what's even sadder happens within a, a Christian context. It's even sadder to see when we've we've got an auntie and uncle across the UK, and they look on to a situation where a so-called Christian is acting and speaking like this, and they're wondering. But they're saying they're Christians. How, if they're saying they're Christians, how can they say that? If they're saying they're Christians, why are they doing that? See, the world looks on. The world watches us. My my eldest brother, he uh, he was impact as as an apprentice. He was working with one of the church board members as his as his boss, and and he heard him say stuff, and he's thinking, "You say you're a Christian, and you're doing this, and you're saying that," and that's affected my eldest brother to this day. To this day, he is still not. Engaged in, in following Jesus. Yes, there's a whole heap of circumstances attached to that, but, but it doesn't help when well-meaning good Christians speak words of death. When well-meaning good Christians speak words of destruction and, and words of despair over people's lives. It's very sad to see. Jesus said this. Jesus said, this is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for each other. It explains why my auntie, Ali's auntie and uncle, why they sort of wonder, how is this person a disciple? Because their words and their actions are not showing love. Jesus said that love will be the standard that disciples are revealed. True disciples should be easy to find. How? Well, even in a time of siege, even in a time of hardship, even in a time when it gets tough, they speak words of life and words of love. Here's another line we can draw. We've already drawn a line of, uh, what was the first line? The line of defense. Then we've drawn a line of hope. Now we're going to draw a line of love. Make a daily choice. that yeah, Every day I'm going to draw a line and I'm going to choose to respond not from a side of hatred, not from a side of apathy, not from a side of I don't give a rip about you, not from a side of offense. I'm going to choose to respond from a side of love. I'm going to choose to respond to the words that are spoken to me at school or at home or at work. I'm going to choose to respond. I want to respond from this place of, of I'll get you back. But we've got to make a choice to draw that line in the sand and to choose to respond from a side of love. Choose to think the best. Choose to speak the best of others. Even when they may hurt you, even when they may belittle you, even when they may try to destroy you, even if they're Christians, even if they're a pastor, 
Even if there's someone who you look up to, you may have a choice to make to draw a line and say, I don't, I don't know what's going on in their world, but I'm choosing to respond. I'm going to cross this line and choose to respond from the side of love. Choose love. Next line to draw. We've talked about desperation. We've talked about discouragement. We've talked about devouring things that happen when we're under siege. The last one is disbelief. In verse 30, when the king heard this, what the woman had said, he tore his clothes in despair. And as the king walked along the wall, the people could see he was wearing burlap under his robe next to his skin. Now burlap is also known as sackcloth. It was a coarse material made from, woven from goat's hair. Anyone wearing any goat's hair undies today? We're selling them at the back really cheap. It is, it, it, it is worn as a, as a symbol of repentance. It's worn as a symbol of, you know what, I feel so bad about this, I'm going to put some really uncomfortable undies on, and then when I'm walking around, I'll be thinking, oh, I'm so sorry I did that. It is a reminder, it's part of, it's what, it's what they did when they felt sorry, when they were grieving, when they were mourning, they, they wore <coughs> some really nice. On the outside, it would seem that the king was being spiritual and repentant. Because everyone could see, you know, they could see, obviously he's wearing quite a loose robe on the outside, and they could say, he's walking along, trying to picture this, I mean, they're watching the king walk along, and I could see his undies, oh, he's got some burlap on, you know, I'm glad he had some burlap on, but um, from the outside, he was doing all the right stuff, from the outside, the king was, was, was looking like he was sorry, the king was looking like he was grieving, the king was looking like he was, you know, taking the issues seriously, but it was just a show. Because on the inside, he was seething and raging against God and God's prophet Elisha. In the, in the Old Testament, God would speak to his people, particularly the king, he would speak through his prophet. That's the way the, the prophet was God's mouthpiece. So typically, the, the prophet would speak to the king. That's how it sort of worked in the Old Testament. And in this case, the prophet was Elisha. And so, whilst he wore his signs of repentance on the outside, he said, may God strike me and even kill me if I don't separate Elisha's head from his shoulders this very day, the king vowed. Do you think he was really sorry about it? Do you think he was really taking personal responsibility for the situation? No, he was looking for a scapegoat. He was trying to point the finger at God's prophet. He was trying to point the finger at God's word. He was trying to point the finger at everyone else except for his personal responsibility for the famine and the siege that they were in. Elisha was sitting in his house with the elders of Israel when the king sent a messenger to summon him. The messenger arrives and Elisha replied, Listen to this message from the Lord. This is what he says to the messenger. This is what the Lord says, By this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost one piece of silver, and twelve quarts of barley will cost you one piece of silver. Elisha here is declaring that things are going to change in one day. It is possible he is declaring to the messenger with who's coming with the message. With the, message with the messenger was trying to take him back so he could get killed. He's declaring to the messenger, God is about to do something. 
in one day things are going to change. But the officer assisting the king said to the man of God, Ah, that couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. But Elisha replied, You will see it with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it. Lastly, we see in a time of famine and siege that the despair that we have leads us to disbelief. We can start to question, God couldn't do that. God God couldn't help my marriage. God couldn't help my relationship with my mum and dad. God couldn't help my relationship with my, my friend. God, God, God can't heal me. God can't help me. Even if it just couldn't happen, it's too impossible. When we, in times of famine, in times of siege, what happens is that we can quite easily forget the promises of God or we know the promises. Yeah, Lord, God, I know what you're saying, but I don't believe them anymore. Cynicism and doubt can take hold in our hearts. We can start to question and we can start to dismiss what God can do. You know, it's too easy for us to get consumed by the visible. It's so easy for us to get so caught up in the stuff that's happening and I know stuff's happening. Happens to all of us. But it's so easy to get consumed by all of that that we take our eyes off God and we start to disbelieve and not not actually, we start to lose hope. And we don't expect that God can move or if he'll move. He might do it for someone else, but he's not going to do it for me. Can I tell you, God is not limited by your natural resources. Here's the last line I want to encourage you to draw. A line of faith. A line of faith says, you know what? I believe in God's word. Or I don't. Simple. I believe in what God says. Or I don't. I don't believe half of it. I believe all of it. I believe in God's promises even if I cannot see them in the natural. I believe in God's character. I believe that he is good even when it doesn't feel like he's good. I believe in God's declarations over me. Even when I feel like a failure or a mess, I still believe because I'm a believer. I'm not a thinker. I'm not a wisher. I'm not a hoper. I am a believer. We are believers and we believe in God's word. We believe in God's character. We believe in God's goodness. We believe in God's promises. We believe in God's declarations over us. That's what we believe. And that's the line we need to draw. A line that says, you know what? I am going to be a believer. A line of faith. So we come to the end, end of act one. It's a pretty hopeless situation. We've got this king who's got no clue, no hope, no future. We've got a people that are broken and, and in famine and in despair and under siege and, and consuming one another and, and being discouraged and losing hope, living in fear. We've got a people that are trapped by an enemy who's living outside their gates, but also an enemy that's inside their hearts. In the city, we've got ordinary families. We've got mums and dads, we've got single people, we've got young adults, we've got youth, we've got kids, we've got grandparents. In the city under siege, we've got a bunch of normal people pretty much like us. From all walks of life. We've got a bunch of people who, who when the enemy came, they retreated into their fortress for safety. But they, 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 they retreated because of fear. But all of a sudden their fortress has become a prison. 
And what once was a safe place for them now is a dangerous place for them. A place where they, unless God comes through, unless they can discover that there's a better tomorrow, that they will die. They will lose hope. And the very things that kept them safe cut them off from the freedom that was already theirs. Ben-Hadad's army knew that he could never get victory from the outside. And he had a greater chance of victory from the inside out. His strategy then and his strategy today is to keep people trapped by fear and despair. Because if people can remain in their self-imposed prison, if people don't realise that freedom has already been achieved, and that's next week's message talking about what happens to the city and our role to play in that. But if if people can keep trapped in that space without knowing there's a solution, without knowing there's a victory and breakthrough, then either that they will surrender or they will die. The enemy doesn't care. He wins either way. So, as we close, I'll get our team up now. Thanks, Joe. Four lines I've encouraged you to consider drawing today. The first line is a lot. First line is a line of faith. I am choosing today to draw a line of faith. I'm choosing to live a sigh on the side of belief and trust and hope. I'm choosing to step across the line of faith out of my problems into the promise. Believing in God's word, the promise of God's word, the promise of God's character, the promise of his goodness, the promise of his declarations. The second line of encourage you to draw is the line of hope. Can I encourage you this morning, choose to live on the side of hope. If you're here and you're under siege, if you're going through stuff, don't be discouraged. There is hope. Hang on, help is on the way. Hang on, God has already gone before you. Hang on, it's just a moment away. It could be a day away. Don't give up. Don't stay discouraged. Don't stay on the side of despair. Don't focus on the natural. Don't focus on what the doctors are saying or the banker. Yes, they're real. I I know that. But hope is found on the other side of the line. Hope is found in a place where we see God for who he is. Choose to draw a line of love. It reveals, it, it deals with how he can so easily be devoured or how we can devour others. We need God's help. I need God's help to, to, to respond from the side of love, to speak from the side of love, to minister, to encourage, to build up, to, 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 to do all I can from the side of love, even when things can get difficult and things can get hard. The side of love that speaks life, not death, doesn't consume. And at first when we talked about it was a line of, de- a line of defense. Just pretend that's there. Choose this morning to guard your heart with all diligence. Choose to put a line of defense around your heart. If you can, if you can make a choice and say, I'm going to line of, draw this line of defense, it's going to help you deal with when things get desperate. When you, because you don't want to do that. You don't want to eat a donkey's head. You don't want to eat dove's dung, do you? You can spice it up a bit, but it's still dove's dung. You don't want to do that. You don't want to live a life that is doing stuff that you never want to do. And the way you can avoid that when things are going okay, it, well, even when things are tough, draw a line of defense that says, you know what, I'm not going to do that. 
I am not going to cross that line, no matter how hard it gets. I am not going to curse God and die. I'm not going to disbelieve. I'm not going to consume. I'm draw guard your heart with all diligence, because out of it flow the issues of life. So this morning, I really felt that God wanted us to focus on a meta focus on the city, because there's people in the city who are trapped on the inside. Under siege by the enemy on the outside. There are perhaps even people here that are trapped by the enemy in their hearts. Well, that's attacking their hearts. Their hearts, good, but the enemy's attacking. I have good news for you. If you are under siege, then the message I have is the message the king should have had for that woman. The message was, there's hope in God. Tomorrow is going to get better. God's goodness, no matter how hard it is, God will meet you in your place of fear, in your place of trouble, and you, He'll meet you there. Don't give up. Don't, 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 don't give up on God. Don't give up on each other. Your victory is closer than you can think. Don't, 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 don't draw a line of faith and then start to retreat back into discouragement. Don't draw a line of, of hope and start to retreat back. Go forward. Trust God that it's better. That God's going to do something. He's already started it. He's already done it. Don't give up. You can't see it, but he can see it. He's already there. He's already there making your victory sure. Don't give up. Why don't we close our eyes for a moment, please? The question I have as we close is, what side of the lines will you live? Where will you live? Where will you build your house? Where will you put your foundations of your life? On what side of the line? What line you're asking? Well, all the lines. Will you choose to draw a line of faith? Will you choose to draw a line of hope? Will you choose to draw a line of love and say, you know what, God, today I'm drawing those lines and I'm going to make a conscious decision no matter how hard it gets, no matter how desperate it gets, I'm going to step and live on the side of life. So just while everyone eyes closed this morning, I just want to... I want to pray. I just want a brief response for those who feel to respond. And if you're here this morning and you're, you've identified some lines that you need to draw or some steps you need to take and you'd like me to include you in a prayer, just give me a little wave and say, Mark, that's me. Anyone this morning says, you know what? Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Draw a line. What can you do? Thanks, 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 thanks. You, you can't... Fix the problem. You can't, you can't sort that out. But you can draw a line and you can take a step. You can draw a line and you can take a step. You can make a decision. You can make a choice. And you can take a step into that and into God's promise, into God's future, into God's goodness, into God's blessing, into God's provision. So, Lord, this morning I pray for the many people who just acknowledge Yes to me, but ultimately, Lord, people have acknowledged to you, Lord, that they need to draw a line. Lord, a line that defines them, a defining moment for them when they take a step across what was into, into what can be in you. Lord, I just thank you this morning. Your Holy Spirit's already been at work 
through our worship, through our service, Lord. You've been at work speaking and encouraging and lifting and building, Lord. You've been speaking life over us. And so this morning, for those who responded, I speak life over you. I speak God's provision over you. I speak God's breakthrough over you. I speak God's abundance over you. Abundance of life and hope and, 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 and energy and abundance of, of faith over you. And Lord, I pray for all of us, Lord, that we will be reminded every time a famine or a siege or the enemy attacks us, that we have a choice to draw that line. Lines in the sand. And Lord, I thank you that we, every day we can get up and draw the same line, that your mercy is new every morning, that your hope never fails. And Lord, I just thank you that we are victorious in you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.